The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. Last evening, I had the blessing of going to a large Christmas party at a beautiful venue, sparkling with lights and candles, white tablecloths and crystal china. It was a beautiful setting and the meal was spectacular. As I was finished and things were wrapping up, I made my way to the host table. I'd already spoken with the host. He had come and found me and greeted me, but I hadn't spoken to his wife. And we are friends. We've been friends for quite a number of years. She is a stunningly beautiful woman. She was dressed to the nines. As I approached the table, she saw me coming, and she quickly stood and came to greet me, gave me a warm embrace, said how how happy she was to see me. I said to her, I haven't seen you for a while. How has your year been? And her face that had been wreathed in smiles became very serious. She said to me, it's been a very difficult year, Pastor. Why? What's happened? She said, I had to learn a very painful lesson this year. Oh? I had to learn patience with my husband. And I had to learn how to submit to my husband. I said, tell me about it. She said, I'm a professional woman, a very strong woman. We're very successful in our business. But I finally recognized that Jesus was right. I either needed to submit to my husband and be his wife, or our marriage was over. And I had to make the decision, is my marriage more important than my pride? And she said, I concluded that my marriage was much more important than my pride. And so I have been eating humble pie. I've been keeping my mouth shut. I've been acting with kindness and love toward my husband. And our marriage is working much better. I said, you have found a very precious secret. If we are too proud to bow down and show respect for others, our relationships will not work. She said, I'm so happy. It's going to be a wonderful Christmas holiday for us. She thanked me for my kindness to she and her husband 
I've done marital counseling with them. We've talked about these issues many times, and she has always been stubborn, refusing to submit to her husband, wanting to be the leader of her house. What a change had taken place. The glow and the joy in her face was unmistakable. I blessed her in the name of Jesus and went my way. Now I share this with you because this coming of Jesus being born in Bethlehem it's not as the world portrays it. It's not a time of pride and arrogance. It's not a time of, I'm not quite sure how to put it, of exerting our excellence, of claiming the right to be in charge. Do you understand? Jesus came from glory. He was the creator of heaven and earth. Everything belonged to him, even these people. This baby owned the world. He was entitled to it because he had created it. It was his creation. So he came and humbled himself before the whole human race and was willing to be created as the son of a virgin, scorned as being an illegitimate baby. Joseph and Mary had been, no doubt, cut off from family. They'd been scorned by friends. They had suffered for this child. And now they're in Bethlehem, a, a dirty little town. Not a place of beauty and dignity, a place of, of humility, of humbleness. He wasn't born in the David Hotel downtown Jerusalem, a five-star hotel. He wasn't born there. He wasn't born in some magnificent, sanitized hospital. We don't even know if a midwife was there to help her or if Joseph was the one who helped give birth to this child. The whole beginning of Jesus' time on earth is a time of, of great humility, of humbleness. I'm, I'm stunned by Jesus' humility. I wonder... I wonder if you're too proud to bow to this humble child. 
laid in a feeding trough in a manger with animals as witnesses. The poorest of the poor. Wondering, I'm sure, how they would survive. Not even married. They'd not gone through the marriage ceremony. They were engaged, but not married. They were shamed. Christmas is a time of of splashy parties with bright lights and candles and Christmas trees and ornaments and great sentimentality. It's not a celebration of Jesus. It's a celebration of the pagan holiday. Now, the Christian church, the Catholic church, took this December 25 date and they said, we'll celebrate Jesus on that date. It'll make it easier for the pagans to come to Jesus. Instead, the the Christians went to the pagans. So we celebrate by giving gifts to one another. I so far for this Christmas have given five gifts away. <laughs> but I gave them to Muslim men and women. One of them was just a, a pagan, not a Christian at all. And when I gave it to him, I said, May Jesus bless you. Well, you know what happens if Jesus blesses them. That means he'll call them to himself. That's the blessing they need. They need to be called to the Messiah. I'm having a lot of difficulty with this issue of of pride. It's not a Christmas story, but it is really. It's the story of King David. King David, Jesus was born in his lineage. He was called a son of David. So what happened with this David that would enable him to be called a man after God's own heart? Well, I'll share just one quick story with you. It will help set the tone, I think, for your Christmas celebration. I pray it will. Or your non-celebration, whichever you happen to do. I don't personally put up a Christmas tree. I don't celebrate Christmas as the world celebrates. I believe it's a pagan holiday, and, and I'll use it to speak to the lost and to the pagans. But it's not a holiday that I respect or love. I love Thanksgiving Day. That's my favorite celebration of the year. But let me tell you this very simple story. 
David sinned grossly against God. He had a man murdered. He took a man's wife for his own. <laughs> Committed adultery. And of course, we have Psalm 51 as the wonderful, contrite repentance of this precious man's heart. Where he humbled his heart. The Lord forgave him for his sin, but said, You will suffer the consequences of your sin as it runs its course through your family. Now, Absalom was his son, a perfect specimen of manhood. Beautiful long hair. He shaved it once a year, and, and when he did, he weighed it, and it was five pounds. That's a head of hair. This young man was a proud and arrogant young man. He had never been corrected by his father. He had never been disciplined, perhaps because David felt so bad about his own sin. He did not discipline his sons. So Absalom is angry with his brother, and he kills him. And then he has to flee. Joab is instrumental in bringing him back to the king. He is brought to the king. The king sees Absalom bow down with his face to the ground before him. But in his heart, he was raging. The king kissed Absalom. And as far as King David was concerned, Absalom was forgiven and restored to the family. But Absalom had other ideas. Absalom found 50 men who would run before him as servants. And he had a horse, horses and chariot, and he rode behind these men and they shouted, make way for Absalom. And he would station himself outside of town, leading up to the city gate of Jerusalem. And there, everyone who came bringing a grievance to the king, Absalom would call out to him and ask, What city are you from? And Absalom would say, Look, your claims are good and right, but the king doesn't have anyone to listen to you. So very subtly, he now begins to undercut the king, his father. And when anyone would have a grievance or dispute, he would say, look, you need someone like me to settle your disputes. And then he would reach out his hand. He'd take hold of the man. He'd kiss him on the cheek. He'd ingratiate himself until the day came that Absalom decided he had enough support among the Israelites to rebel against his father and become the king. It took him four years. And at the end of four years, he invites 200 royal people 
to go to Hebron. They don't know what's going on. But many others also come. And there he declares himself king of Israel in revolt against his father. Now, he invites Ahithophel, who is the chief advisor of the king, also the uncle of Bathsheba, the woman he committed adultery with. And so David now has lost Ahithophel, who had also been bitter in heart against David for what he had done. David is informed that the hearts of the men of Israel are now with Absalom, which means now there will be a war. David knows what a rebellion is. He has not been ignorant, but he has not wanted to confront Absalom and risk breaking relationship. But now Absalom has crossed the bridge. He's gone too far. Now, I want you to see David's response, and this is really the story I want to share with you, not of Absalom. He is not really worth even talking about. He is a Judas. He is a traitor. He is, in every sense, a slimy lowlife. But watch how David responds, because David loves this man. He loves his son. In 2 Samuel, the 15th chapter, the story, Get up, David said. We have to flee or we will not escape from Absalom. Leave quickly or he will soon overtake us and heap disaster on us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. Well, that was not true. David could have marshaled an army and defeated Absalom, but he knew that had he done that, he would have to kill Absalom. And he wanted to spare Absalom, but there was something even much greater, much deeper running through David's heart, and that was absolute horror at what he had done with Bathsheba. He was still grieving over his sin, and rightly so. For he had brought great scorn upon the Lord God of heaven in the name of the Lord and the people. I know what that's like. And you carry that brokenness in your heart. The king's servant said to him, Whatever my Lord the king decides, We are your servants. Then the king set out, and the entire household followed him. Isn't that astonishing? They loved David. They did not respect Absalom. And they are willing now to go the distance with David, with King David. I tell you, there is nothing more precious to a man's heart than friends who will stand with him, who will not be Judas, who will not betray him, who will not cast him aside. I have brothers and sisters like that. 
who stand with me, who love me, who are loyal to me, because they know I'm loyal to Jesus. It's not me, it's Jesus. And I love them for their loyalty. Well, several come with armies, and they say, we're going to go with you. One was uh, Ida. He said, as the Lord lives, as my Lord the King lives, wherever my Lord the King is, whether it means life or death, your servant will be there. Whoa, that's humility of heart. That's love. That's not undercutting and backbiting. That's not betrayal and Judas. The whole story of, of Jesus coming and being born in a manger is about who will be loyal and who will be disloyal. Who will come and worship and who will turn aside? That's the question. Everyone in the countryside was weeping loudly while all the people were marching past. And the king was crossing the Kidron Valley. All the people were marching past on the road that leads to the desert. I want you to get this picture. King David has left his palace and he is making his way down the slope into the Kidron Valley, a small valley. And up the other side, he is going to walk up that Mount of Olives. Now Zadok came. Zadok was there with the Levites. They were all carrying the Ark of the Covenant of God as they were instructed to on their shoulders they set the ark of God down, and Abathur offered sacrifices until the people had finished marching past. Then the king instructed Zadok, return the ark of God to the city. Watch this. If I find favor in the Lord's eyes, he will bring me back and allow me to see both it and its dwelling place. However, if he should say, I do not delight in you, then here I am. He can do with me whatever he pleases. Do you realize that was Jesus' attitude as he came and was born in the manger? Do you remember after his resurrection, he said to Mary, don't hold on to me. I have to ascend to my father. Why? to make certain that his sacrifice had pleased the Father, to make certain that his sacrifice was accepted for the redemption of the human race, for you and for me. King David has now placed himself in the hands of God. See, Christmas demands that we come and place ourselves in the hands of God. It's not about the glitter 
and the lights. It's not about the gifts. It's not about the food and the parties. It's about whether or not we will come to the Christ and place our lives in his hand. The king said to Zadok, the priest, look, return to the city in peace. Your two sons with you. So Zadok takes the Ark of the Covenant. Unlike King Saul, who would take it into battle and lose it to the Philistines. He takes the Ark back into the tent of meeting. Now David, in verse 30, is climbing the slope of the Mount of Olives, weeping as he ascended, his head covered, and he was walking barefoot. Now please, in that culture, it was the custom for women to cover their head as a sign that they were under authority with their husbands. Men did not cover their heads. That would be a shame. I know this goes against the culture of America, but I'm not interested in the culture of America. I'm interested in the culture that David was walking in that we could understand why he was doing what he was doing. I am interested in the culture of Jesus. I'm interested in the culture of heaven. I don't care about the wicked ways of this world and the pride and the arrogance of men and women. He's weeping. Tears are flowing down this valiant soldier, this warrior, this strong man. And the tears are flowing down the mighty soldiers that walk with him with their swords in place. And they're weeping. His head is covered, meaning he is now humbling himself to the dust. And he is saying, I belong to the Lord, and he may do with me whatever he wishes. And if he is pleased with me, he will restore me to the kingship. And if he is not pleased with me, I don't want to be king. I want to belong to the Lord God of heaven. The Lord had his heart. You understand, God had his heart. Does God have your heart? Or does the glitter and the parties and the entertainment and the feasting, does your sin with that woman or with that man, is that where your heart is? I've been going through a very, very painful time. As I've had to look back now with nine years since my late wife passed and ask the question, what did I learn? And what I discovered hidden in my heart 
was that I used to say to myself, I can endure anything as long as Jan is with me. I found my love in my sweet wife. It wasn't her fault, but she was between me and Jesus. And the Lord took her. And then I found, I found other things that stood between me and Jesus. My security found in things, not Jesus. Hoping I could make it through successfully and not, and not be a failure. Hoping that I could be somebody do something great for Jesus but buried in all of that was a trusting in things of this world in relationships and friendships and money I've had to lay all of that aside I've had to put every friendship on the altar I've had to put every precious thing I own on the altar. I've had to lay everything down, including this radio broadcast. I've laid it also on the altar. And I too have covered my head. And spiritually, I'm also walking barefoot because I recognize that this Christmas must be a time of great humility on my part, not proving to you that it's a pagan holiday, not telling you don't have a Christmas tree. It's okay if you have a, a Christmas tree. I'm not going to argue with you. No, it's a time for America to be very humble because judgment is beginning to be poured out on our nation and we are going to see some things that will be terrifying. And if your heart is not set on Jesus Christ, you will not survive what we're facing. I went last night to a Starbucks. I ordered a, a latte, just a plain latte. And I sat in that Starbucks over on the side where I could see everybody. I really didn't want the latte. I wanted an opportunity to increase my burden for the lost and the dying. As I sat there, a most amazing thing began to happen to me. As I humbled my heart before Jesus... he began to reveal to me the sin of specific people who were in the Starbucks. As I would look at them, the Holy Spirit would whisper, fornication, adultery, arrogance, pride, lying, stealing, 
He wouldn't let me speak with anyone. I just sat and looked at the people. And as the Lord identified their sin, I began to weep, sitting in the Starbucks. I was overwhelmed. I'd gone there so that I could have a sense of of the burden I need to carry for the lost. If you want to begin to build a sense of burden for the lost, just go sit somewhere and watch them. And your heart will begin to be grieved for them. Get your eyes off yourself. Go someplace where the pagans gather. And in that place, begin to pray for them and see what happens to your heart. It's not about me. It's about the lost. It's about Jesus. It says each of the people with him, that is with David, covered their heads, and they went up weeping as they ascended. So they're all going up this Mount of Olives, weeping, loud cries. Sounds like revival to me. That's what revival sounds like. Loud weeping as men and women humble their hearts. Now, Shimei comes, and I have my Shimei's. I have a number of them. Shimei was a descendant of Saul. And he comes and begins to throw stones on them. He gains a high place and he throws dirt and dust down on them. Throws stones and he curses them. Get out, get out, you worthless murder, he says. The Lord has paid you back for all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose place you became king. The Lord has handed the kingdom over to your son Absalom. Look, you're in trouble because you're a murderer, screaming and yelling at David. And Abashi, he says to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over and cut his head off. And David replies, He curses me that way because the Lord told him, Curse David. Therefore, who can say, Why did you do that? And David said, Look, my own son, my own flesh and blood intends to take my life. How much more than this Benjamite? Leave him alone and let him curse me. The Lord has told him to. Perhaps the Lord will see my affliction and restore goodness to me instead of Shimei's curses today. So David and the procession moved on along the road to verse 14. Exhausted, exhausted they arrived. at a resting place. Oh, my brothers and sisters, please, please, please don't be caught up in this Christmas foolishness. Instead, humble your heart before God. Cover your head. Our Jesus came in the manger, humble, wrapped in swaddling clothes, He came 
in the lowliest of times. He didn't come with shouts of acclamation. He didn't come with anything but his humility. If there's one thing God possesses in large measure, it is humility. And to be like God, to be like Jesus, to walk as he did, requires that we too cover our heads and weep before him and humble our hearts. I want to tell you today how much I love you. I've been pastoring many of you for many years. I don't even know your names. I wish I could meet you. I wish we could set a time when when you would come and meet me. I'd like to greet you. I'd like to pray over you. I'd like to I'd like to tell you thank you in person for listening and supporting this radio broadcast. But right now it doesn't seem that I can do that. So I'll just have to settle with telling you the Lord has humbled my heart before him and I've covered my head and wept before him. And I'm asking Will you walk with me up that mountainside? And will you weep with me for America? Will you weep with me for our president? Will you weep with me for your family? Will you weep with me for your own pride and hardness of heart and arrogance before God? How do we deal with this? It's a lot easier to go buy a gingerbread man and have a coffee and dunk it in your coffee. <laughs> And forget all about it. Enjoy the Christmas music. Enjoy the holiday. Enjoy, 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 enjoy. It's not where we're at, people. My dear brothers and sisters, it's not where we're at. We're at the turning point of judgment before Almighty God. And we need to humble our hearts before him and before each other. We need to forget about being somebody and let Jesus be everything for us. You know the rest of the story. An army gathers on David's side, an army gathers on Absalom's side, and they go to war. And David, in his humility, says, Please be gentle with my, with my Absalom. Please don't kill him. 
Joab, however, hears that he's hanging in a tree by his long, beautiful hair. And Joab takes spears and drives them into his heart. And they kill him. David is heartbroken. He knows that it was because of his sin that his son has died. Now you can argue, no, it was Absalom's sin. Yes, it was. But David did not discipline him. And David sinned with Bathsheba. You know what, my brother, my sister, we're all sinners. Jesus was not a sinner. He was without sin, the only man without sin, perfect in every respect, filled with love and compassion and mercy, choosing to come and destroy the devil's works of everything unclean. Look at the way a man or a woman is dressed, and if they're dressed in a sexually suggestive way, they are dressed in the devil's clothing. If a man or a woman is arguing and fighting and fussing, they're following the devil. If you hear a man laughing with loud, uproarious laughter, loud talk, crude, coarse. He's not a Jesus man or woman. Everything the devil touches is unclean, coarse, perhaps looking pretty on the outside, but inside, snakes. I've had my fill of everything to do with the powers of darkness. I want nothing to do with anything of darkness, anything of uncleanness. I want Jesus because everything about Jesus is clean. Everything about Jesus is humility and humbleness, compassion and mercy. Yes, he brings judgment but it's called in Scripture a strange work. David finally goes to the place where he can see his troops and thanks them for their work. And he is reestablished as king over Israel and Judah. Oh, I look at this story and my heart is broken for King David. I look at the story of Christmas and my heart is broken for Jesus because he did not deserve to be born in a manger. Forget the romance and the sentimentality of Christmas. It's it's raw. Joseph is a long way from home. 
He's an older man. How can he provide for his family? How can they survive in this city? How can they live? And then word comes that maybe Herod wants to kill him. The pain and the anguish of Joseph and Mary's heart unbelievable so we come to that season of the year when we as a nation celebrate what we call Christmas I ask you this year don't celebrate it the way of the world but rather celebrate it by covering your head and walking barefoot like King David up the mountain, weeping for America, for your family, for the lost and the dying, for the homeless, for the broken. Cover your head with humility and cry aloud to the Lord God of heaven, to Jesus, the Messiah, our Master, our Savior, our King, and ask for his mercy for America. Ask for his mercy for your church and your pastor and your family. O Lord, I don't know how to even begin to say thank you for coming in that manger, for being born in that filthy place, far from home, dependent on Mary to feed you and nurse you, to change your diapers, to wash you and clean you utterly humble before Mary and Joseph. Lord, thank you. Thank you for coming. And thank you for dying. For everything from that birth, it was a humble road you you walked until you arrived at Calvary where they crucified you. Lord, thank you. Lord, thank you. I worship you today and I praise you in your holy name. Amen. I hope you've heard my heart today. I'm trusting in Jesus to move in your heart, to give. Very generously, we need some very large offerings and some small offerings that Pilgrim's Progress could remain on the air for next month. We go month to month. 
I would like to have some large offerings so we would not have to go just month to month. But that's where we are. Would you write to me? Pastor Ray Greenlee, the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 2219195. Is that the right? Yes, 22195. I pray God's blessing for you today. I pray you will cover your head and weep before Jesus. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'll talk to you soon. God bless you. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless for the presence of his glory with great joy with great joy to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our